Good morning, Victory family and friends. Happy Mother's Day to all of you who are moms or have been moms, to those of you who have a mom or have had a mom, to those of you who have experienced the grace of God in the absence of an earthly mom's presence. We acknowledge and honor all moms, past, present, future even. And if you're watching this and you are a mom, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you do. Um, this world is literally a better place for having you in it. Psalm 118 and 24 says, This is the day that the Lord has made, and we rejoice and we are glad in it. My name is Paul, and I am privileged to serve as pastor of this amazing congregation called Victory Church of Charlottesville, where we exist to see people reconcile to God and to each other. And I recognize that that endeavor, that vision is, is no doubt a lifelong one. And even then, we won't fully realize uh, that reconciliation until we get to glory. Uh, though I am grateful that he gives us the opportunity, the privilege to partner with him in seeing his will in heaven done here on earth. We get the opportunity to steward the ministry of reconciliation, the most important of which is vertically with our heavenly father, and then, though, horizontally with each other. And I get that there are many fronts on which that reconciliation can and needs to happen. And I get that it can be hard. And while I am grateful on so many fronts for so many different things, um, I'm also tired. Uh, exhausted, actually. And even angry that the sin of white supremacy in particular persists. Ahmad Arbery should have turned 26 on Friday, and he didn't. Instead, I and perhaps some of you were running 2.23 miles to, to honor a life that was cut way too short. I endeavor uh, in my life to, to really to have my emotions led by what pleases and offends God. I do. And, and no doubt I fall short at that for sure. But white supremacy, um, the systemic and systematic devaluing of black and brown lives, for hundreds of years, uh, offends God. And so it offends me. And whether you are black, white, Latinx, Asian, rich, poor, young, old, um, Republican, Democrat, whether you went to a liberal seminary or conservative seminary, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I pray that it breaks your heart, just like it breaks his. There, there's a gospel imperative, a gospel imperative for all of us to repent for the ways that we have upheld the, the, the status quo of white supremacy in, uh, in our country, the United States. A gospel imperative, gospel imperative to name, to name and push back on that status quo 
again, that has persisted for so long. God, help us as we as we endeavor to participate well again in seeing your will in heaven done here on earth. And no doubt, uh, it's only with God's help that we can push that ball, if you will, further down the field. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name. Um, if you're new to watching uh, Victory Church or joining us for the first time, welcome to church. Uh, we exist to see people reconcile to God and to each other. And God, help us do it well. Help us participate well. We're going to try to, to continue in our series on mental health. It's entitled Mental Health Matters. Last week, we talked about uh, the life of Elijah and how the struggle is real, looking at 1 Kings 19. And this week, we're going to talk about John chapter 9. Uh, but before we do, um, I want to invite my bride of 14 years, and the mother of our three amazing children uh, to the stage, which is our basement floor, um, just to say some some uh, a few words that are particularly relevant for this moment. Good morning, Victory Church. I've written a piece on motherhood, threat, and lament, and it's sort of a letter to mothers and especially to Wanda Cooper. When my own son was born, his face the color of his father's palm with a dimple snuggled deep into his left cheek. Fear didn't rush in. We'd done this before. The circumcision thing was new, but we had a healthy 18-month-old girl at home. She made a mean tower out of alphabet blocks and already danced better than her mama. We could do this. One toddler, one infant, a double stroller, and lots of lattes, and we'd be fine. Then one morning before he turned to, my boy barely woke up. His body limp, his heart racing, his limbs too heavy for a toddler. We rushed him to the hospital. His blood glucose level, the number that should be around 70 or even 100, was 27. It happened again and again, and there were tests, so many tests and pricks, and a lot of hours spent Googling rare conditions that could make a brown boy's body crash out of nowhere. A child, my child, could appear healthy, could jump off picnic tables and climb bookcases. He could hold my heart between his eyes, and then his vitals were in limbo, and no one could tell us why. This didn't happen often, in fact, what kept my heart racing, part of it broken, was that a critical drop in glucose could strike at any time and for no apparent reason. This unknown disease or condition stalked us, struck in the morning, an hour before dawn, and while we were ready for it, while we had every tool available to prevent it and to respond, we were never ready for it. A year ago, the Saturday before Mother's Day, my son had his first seizure. We had apple juice, we had a glucometer, but the shaking, the slurring, the facial drooping, this was new. No one had told us it could morph into this. In these moments when my son can't tell me his birthday, when his eyes are open and his mouth moving, but his body is unwilling, his jaw and teeth too loose to make the sounds align, I feel nothing. I am a distant observer 
far from my body, watching this beautiful boy, an image of my father and my husband all wrapped up in a body knit by God, but at this moment, a body that's betraying him. And that is the paradox my body can barely hold some days, that a fully loving God, a fully perfect God, a holy near to us God is also a God who allows us to live in bodies that betray us among people who betray us. This I've learned is not the same as God betraying us, but every mother knows it hurts. Everything in our bodies, our souls, our minds tells us our babies are meant to live forever. Our babies don't die. They are too beautiful, too ours to die. In my nine years as a mother, I've found the biggest threats to be within. I'm always watching my son's body, checking his levels, reading food labels, reading lab reports, praying that tomorrow morning he will be able to tell me his birthday. Ms. Cooper, your Ahmad was born on Mother's Day in 1994. You say he was the baby of the family, had two older siblings. You've done this before. I don't know if fear rushed in. But I want to ask you about Maybe I want to apologize for all the times you correctly identified the threat. The times we don't know about. Was Ahmad ever seriously ill? Did he have pneumonia or an asthma attack or a dangerous reaction to a new food? Did you ever pull him from a pool at just the right second or get him to the doctor when his fever raged? How many boxes of Band-Aids did you buy? Ms. Cooper, and did you worry that as a standout high school linebacker, he'd be riddled with concussions? Did you ever weigh the risk of letting him pursue his passion against the possible cost of physical harm? I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all the times you saved him, all the times you swept in just in the nick of time, all the times you were bone tired but smiled at that beautiful boy because he was worth it. He was knit and set in a broken world, a country born of tangled pathology that prides itself on efficiency, even if that efficiency means letting white men with guns walk free, roaming streets turn dark midday, always taking what isn't theirs, making the crooked things more crooked while professing to keep things in order. I want to ask, what did you do in those 74 days? between the time they told you he was a criminal, that you had raised a boy who deserved to die, between the day that day and the day his killers were arrested, did you sleep? Did you see his favorite cereal in the grocery store aisle? Did you fold his clothes, empty his sock drawer? Did you wonder if after all this, after all the football games and doctor's appointments and parent-teacher conferences and spankings or groundings or timeouts, all the years spent molding, did you wonder if you'd done something wrong? That's what makes me so angry because that right there, that peculiar limbo that Georgia law enforcement ordered you to sit in while they took the word of murderers as gospel and kept the order of Satilla Shores and white America's conscience, that is a strange sin, a recurring one that America as a whole prefers not to repent of. To repent means to turn away, 
I don't think America has turned. It's a terrible kind of threat from within, a different one than I've experienced. You didn't let your son down. His body didn't let him down. White men operating on efficiency and rage and privilege and power commanded it to stop with bullets shot in point blank range. Woe to racists who play God. Ms. Cooper, I am so sorry that this is the first year your beautiful boy couldn't tell you his birthday. And I think what I'm asking is if I can sit with you. You don't have to say a word. You don't owe me anything. I'm out of words. Maybe you are out of words too. Maybe there are times when you are out of breath. There will come a time for hope, not forgetting, but hope. But today I'd be honored to sit by your side and lament the loss of Ahmad Arbery, your Ahmad. Thank you, Taylor, for uh, those words. And God, we just thank you. Thank you for seeing us. Thank you for hearing our cry. And thank you for empowering us by your grace to participate well on earth, seeing your will in heaven brought here to earth. And now as we study your word, I pray that you'd open up our eyes to see all that is here for us, that we'd apply that which we read and hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to look at John uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 4, and it reads this way. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Verse 3 says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And the title of the message this morning is While We Wait. While We Wait. And there are three points I'd love to highlight from uh, this text. One is he sees us. Two, ask the right questions. And three, it may not be our fault, but we can seize the opportunity. Several years back, I was an adjunct faculty member at George Mason University in Fairfax, uh, Virginia, in their counselor education program. And I was uh, teaching a class called Counseling uh, Children and Adolescents. And it was taught by my now good friend and colleague, Carol Kaffenberger. She retired and left me a syllabus that was ready to implement, praise the Lord. And so I had to do very little to that. I just had to go in and facilitate it. And there was one activity in particular that I loved, loved so much that even now, having moved to Charlottesville and been full-time at UVA since 2011 and taught almost all of the courses in our counselor education curriculum, I've used this activity in just about all of them and have even adapted it for some church functions as well. And this morning, I'm going to ask you to participate with me in that activity. So if you have a piece of paper, grab it. If you have a pen or a pencil or something to write with, grab it. And at the top of that piece of paper, I want you to write, what's in your world? What's in your world? And underneath that, I want you to answer that question, except you can't use words. It has to be a pictorial representation of your answer to that question. Yes. 
Now, typically I'd give you three minutes, except I'm not going to stand here and stare at the screen for three minutes. Uh, but I do want you to answer that as best you can. And, and, and in the meanwhile, I'm going to show you my world. All right. Now, laughter is is good for you. So you're welcome. Uh, seeing my stick figures here on your screen now, you can you're welcome to laugh at them. It's clear why I didn't become an artist. But this is my answer to the question in three minutes. Uh, you see a little bit about all of the influencers on my view of the world. Uh, where I grew up, you see the apple that I know you can tell is an apple there. Uh, I grew up in New York. You see that uh, the cross there in the middle, faith in Jesus Christ is everything. It's who I am. It drives who I am and all that I do. You see all of the people, mom, dad, siblings, in-laws, students, uh, people all around that have influenced me in so many wonderful ways. Role models that I've emulated over time, sports that I've loved to play, and on and on and on. And as a result, uh, I can see some things really easily. And yet there are other things that I can't see so well. And the truth is, all of us have a lens through which we view the world that has been shaped by unique experiences and people and places in our lives. And as such, the good news is there's something for you to say. There's a unique voice that you have that without which we are not the same. In fact, we are not as good as we could be without your voice. There's something God wants to say and do in and through you to reach a people that only you can reach. There's something for you to say. There's strength in the voice that has been shaped by your unique experiences and the shoes that only you have walked in in this life on this planet. And that lens allows us and allows you and, and, and all of us to see certain things really easily. And it also allows us to miss some things and not see them so easily because <laughs> it's our world. And so a question to ponder today and maybe throughout the week is, what do you see? What do you see? And who do you allow in your life to help you with those things you can't see so well? Our text is found in the Gospel of John. Gospel of John that was written around 80, 90 in, in Ephesus in Asia. And though his name isn't mentioned in the book, he, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He refers to uh, the one who leaned against Jesus' bosom. And John's account is different from the synoptic gospel. Synoptic uh, meaning seen together, and that refers to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, it's different in that it focuses more on the signs and the wonders of Jesus and in so doing, hoping that those who read it would see Jesus and believe that he is the Son of God. And if you are watching this and you are not a Christian, my prayer today is that your heart would be softened. Uh, and perhaps it already has been by something said or a song sung, um, such that you'd want to know more about who Jesus is and how much he really, really loves you. John here in chapter 9 is just leaving the temple, you see, in chapter at the end of chapter 8. He was, he was speaking a lot of truth, but it wasn't really being embraced by those he was speaking to, such that at the end of chapter 8, they were picking up rocks to stone him, and so he decided to get out of Dodge. And as he's getting out of Dodge, he comes across this blind man, who he sees. Verse one says, he went along, as he went along, he saw a blind, 
a man blind from birth. And so the first point I want to emphasize is that he sees us. He sees us throughout scripture. He, he just sees everyone in, 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 in the gospel of Luke 21. He saw the rich man that put his gifts into the, the, the temple treasury. And simultaneously, he saw the poor uh, widow who with her two small copper coins, scripture says, that she put into the treasury. He saw the woman at the well in John 4 when, when, when Jews and Samaritans, Jews were not to see, if you will, Samaritans and Samaritans not to see Jews and, and men certainly not to see women and women not to see men. And yet he saw her and her history. He saw the, the woman who was caught in adultery that the Pharisees wanted to, to stone. He saw her in spite of what she had done. He saw her. He saw the lepers in Luke 17 that no one else would touch. They were outcasts. They were pariahs in society. He saw them and even touched them. And in a society where, where we can go unseen in plain sight, how refreshing is it? How good of news is it that Jesus sees us? He sees us wherever we find ourselves, mentally, emotionally, psychologically, physically, spiritually. He sees us and he he, he loves us and he values us. And mothers, oh, he sees you too. And yes, some of us children uh, may never see <laughs> anything or it might take 20 years for us to see something. Uh, where we say thank you and ah, I see what she was doing there. Jesus has seen it all along. And even for us who think we've seen something, really we just, we've just seen a slice. I've been complimenting my wife, uh, you know, since we've been in this pandemic and, and, and prayerfully before that, I hope she would say. Uh, but particularly in this season where she's doing a lot more of the heavy lifting with homeschooling. And so as I see, I'm saying thank you. And man, you're awesome what you're doing with our kids every day. And still then, it's only a slice. I don't really get it. I don't get all of what she's doing and pouring into our kids on a daily basis. But Taylor Alexis, you are an amazing mom. Amazing. Jesus sees even more. The sacrifices made, the labors of love. While I'm at it, Doris Elaine, my biological mother, thank you. I'm sure I don't see or get it all, but Jesus does I just say thank you. Brenda Marie, my wife's mom, thank you. Thank you. The next generation, we are so much better for having you. Thank you so much. And for those watching who may have uh, a mental illness, and I'm speaking certainly to everyone who who may have had a mental health challenge in life at some point or have known somebody to have had a mental health challenge at some point. But particularly today, I'm speaking to those who have experienced a mental illness due to dynamics beyond your control. He sees you. He's, Jesus sees you. When you, for example, may not have had any, any uh, you've had all of your Maslow's hierarchy of needs met. Maybe there's nothing uh, traumatic to point to in your life. Maybe you've, you've, uh, you know, there's no, uh, experience per se to point to, and yet mental illness has still been your portion. 
And as such, maybe you feel like you can't say anything because others will say like, what have you been through? You've had a good life. And so maybe you shy away from it. He sees you and I'm talking to you and pray for your encouragement today. He sees you. And those who may have uh, not had your Maslow's hierarchy of needs met. Maybe you've been through some trauma in your life. You've gone through some things and yet the mental illness that you've had to manage isn't solely due to those things and would have been present even without them, though certainly exacerbated by them. Jesus sees you too. He sees all of us. He doesn't miss a person. I'm so glad he doesn't get distracted by my stuff or your stuff such that he can't see anybody else's and everybody else's. And that is good news. He sees each of us. This man in our text was born blind. Didn't he didn't he didn't do anything or go through anything. He it was how he came into the world. Now, I know in my understanding of what the experts say, we are not born with mental illness. Yet there are some uh, or can be some genetic predisposition. There can be some chemical imbalances that might facilitate an easier uh, onset of said mental illness, no matter how good our life might seem to be. As he went along, it says, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. And then the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? That he was born blind. Which leads me to the second point for today. Ask the right questions. Amongst the Jews, it was commonly believed that the challenges or, or difficulties that people faced were the effect of sin. He's blind, so he must have done something. He's black and running through the neighborhood. Surely he's done something. If you look at the book, book of Luke, chapter 13, when they told Jesus that Pilate had killed the Galileans as they were sacrificing, Jesus' answer gives us a clue as to what was the mindset of those talking to Jesus. Jesus answers them with a, a question. He says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Jesus says, no. In fact, you better repent too before you die. Ask the right questions. And in the case of mental illness, particularly, there are perceived inclinations and notions that that the disciples certainly had in this particular text as well that can spread the uh, uh, stigma far and wide. And stigma, of course, is is when there's a mark of disgrace associated with a particular circumstance or quality or person. And that stigma we know, particularly as it relates to mental illness, uh, is a significant reason why some don't go get help. And if you don't go get help and the right help, we know it can lead to some havoc, some bad things. We talked a bit about last week, suicidality and suicide. I don't think I mentioned last week is the 10th leading cause of death in the country. Asking the wrong questions. Fear of asking, the, of being asked the wrong questions might lead some with mental illness to never even say anything about that which they're experiencing, lest they be asked, what did you do? You don't have enough faith? What's wrong? And for those of us who do follow Jesus Christ, just like the disciples in this text, we are not 
immune from such preconceived notions. We're not immune from such biases. In fact, there's a lot that the church can repent for in its history, which we don't have the time, nor is it the space now to go into all of those things. But as it relates to mental illness, as a church, there's a lot we can repent for. One, for example, at times, the ways that we have regarded only as spiritual issues that which was a mental illness. Never would we regard a brain aneurysm like my mom had in 1999 as only a spiritual issue. Yes, we prayed. We absolutely prayed. And we took her to Dr. Shaliff on Long Island. The insurance paid a lot of money so they can clip that thing. And that 21 years later, I'd be able to call her for Mother's Day. When I fractured my wrist in ninth grade, mom and dad absolutely prayed for me, but they didn't say, what's wrong with you? You ain't been reading your Bible? Where's your faith, son? No, they, they, they prayed and, and they took me to the orthopedic so I can get a cast and get things right so I can get back on the field and the court. The folks in this text were disciples of Christ. They believed in Jesus and yet their bias, the wrong questions got in the way of what God wanted to do. And if you're, if you're not a follower of Christ on the other side of that, but you're thinking about accepting Jesus, you should know that the expectation is not that you, you accept Jesus and all is, all is wiped away. All the biases are gone. We're good. Everything is, we are reconciled. Everything is good. Hallelujah. We don't see anything. No, we bring all of that with us. All of our world the unique strong voice that we have and the unique blind spots that we all have. We bring it all up in church and we are an imperfect people who gather virtually now. An imperfect people serving a perfect God saying, God, we're here because we recognize our need for you. And by the empowering presence of your grace, help us to participate well ah, in seeing the things that on our own we can't see. If you don't know Jesus, know that yes, it's a storm-proof one, not a storm-free one. We ask God for more of him, more and more of him every single day so that we can steward, as 2 Corinthians 5 and 18 talks about, the ministry of reconciliation well. More and more of him so we can learn to ask the right questions. Ah, not what did you do? They should have been looking instead for what God could do in the midst of this man's blindness. And no doubt his blindness was life altering and to no fault of his own. Which brings us to our final third and final point for this morning. It may not be our fault, but seize the opportunity. If you suffer or deal with a mental illness, and again, particularly those that involve chemical imbalance or uh, a genetic predisposition, uh, of some kind, before we even go forward in, in closing today, I just want you to put your hand on your chest if that is you, uh, or if you know somebody that is you, you can put your hand on your chest for them and just say, it is not my fault. It's not my fault. If you're a mom, you're a dad, you've had a child deal with mental illness, particularly as it relates to Again, I reference chemical imbalancing, which which isn't, uh, uh, I should say, it isn't, I'll say this parenthetically, isn't it, the, it isn't the cause of every mental illness. If you were to look in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the DSM, uh, it's not the cause of all, but of some. And if you're a mom or a dad who have had a child deal with it, 
please put your hand on your chest and do it for in proxy for somebody you know and say, it is not my fault. It's not our fault. Now, are there things that we can do to exacerbate? Absolutely. We can all do things to exacerbate issues. Lord knows as parents every day I'm praying, God, I need your grace because I know I'm exacerbating stuff up in here. I know it. Flawed. I need more of you and your grace to cover. And I believe that his grace does just that. But it's not, it's not our fault necessarily, but it is our opportunity. And in this text, Jesus was not affirming that he nor his parents were without sin. We're not sinless. There are some things we certainly can do to, to as I said, exacerbate some issues. But he was saying, hey, this blindness is not the effect of sin. Now, more broadly, if we talk about the depravity of humankind, absolutely. We know that nothing works. Our bodies even works as God originally intended. And to that end, we all go through on different fronts. Mental illness is one way that we can shed a bit more light on uh, in our present day society and culture. We know that. We know we live in a fallen world and due to the original sin of Adam and Eve, there, there's a brokenness that has been passed down to all of us. And we live now in bodies that we all know is temporal. Romans chapter 8 verses 22 and 23 that I want to read says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons and daughters, the redemption of our body. So, yes, along with creation, we are awaiting the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so we can receive our redeemed, our new and our resurrected bodies. Hallelujah. But while we wait, while we wait, 2 Corinthians 4 and 16 says, do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. While we wait, while we wait, let's, let's read, hear, study, memorize, meditate on the word of God. While we wait, let's bless him at all times and let his praise forever be on our lips. While we wait, let's rejoice in every single day that he has made. While we wait, let us put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. While we wait... Oh, God, while we wait, let us remember that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. While we wait, let us love our neighbors as you loved us. While we wait, let's be strong and courageous and not be afraid, for we know that you, Lord, are going with us. While we wait, oh, God, while we wait, help us to demystify the false notions of mental illness and, and counseling for that matter. While we wait, oh, let's see what you might want to do through us, we can seize the opportunity. The text says this is so God might be displayed in him. In later verses, it talks about how uh, <clears throat> he spit, <laughs> got some dirt, made some mud, put it on the blind man's eyes and told him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. He did. And brother came back seeing. <laughs> seize the opportunity. Now, does that mean he's going to heal us, you uh, from mental illness? Maybe, maybe not. But if he doesn't, though he can, it doesn't mean that he can't save you in it. He can. 
And it might be that he's wanting you to allow him to save you in the midst of mental illness and that he might use you to help save others in their mental illness. It may be the thorn in your side like Paul that that won't be removed. But in the midst of it, did Paul not do some things for the kingdom? And for those of us who don't have a mental illness, as we close, we get to participate. Verse 4 says, we must do the works of him who sent us. And we do that not by condemning, but by truly being the light of the world, bringing encouragement, bringing hope, bringing the message of reconciliation. And if you're watching and you're not a Christian, that is the message of the gospel. Hope, encouragement, reconciliation. Not by our own strength, not in our own doing. Oh, but because he who demonstrated the biggest and best act of reconciliation of all time through his shed blood on the cross literally he laid out a bridge for us to find our way back to him through our faith but ultimately by his grace he's come to bring hope to the hopeless strength to the weak and his strength is made perfect in our weakness that's the message of the gospel and because he died, was buried, and was raised again, you and I can, in fact, live in the victory that he's called us to live in today. He came to redeem us. And if you don't know him, today is a really good day to get to know him better. And if you do, I guess that we could, we could, we could know him even better than we do right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for seeing us. Thank you for helping us to ask the right questions. Thank you for helping us recognize that even though it may not be our fault, we can seize the opportunity for what you might want to do through it. If you're watching and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior and today want to make a decision for Christ, just pray this prayer with me. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. I commit to following you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, the angels in heaven are rejoicing with you, and so are we. We get a fresh start in Jesus. Fresh start. That's good news. If you made that decision, we'd love to know. You can click the appropriate link in our online chat so that we can get in touch with you, both to pray with and for you, and to send you a gift, free gift, that will, it'll just encourage you and, and show you some next steps. It's a biblical foundations book that it's a really neat study uh, around the foundations of the faith. So please let us know through this medium so we can get that to you as quickly as we can. And again, because we live in community, no one does it alone. No one has it all. Uh, we need each other and we bear each other up every single day. 
If you're desirous of prayer uh, outside of accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, you can also do that. Our prayer team is waiting. You can again click the appropriate links here on the screen so that uh, somebody can be in touch with you in the moment after the service to, to, uh, to pray with and for you. Family, we love you. We're praying for you every single day. Um, happy Mother's Day to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's live in victory.